Welcome to Real AI Now, a podcast about the real application of AI in business brought to you by Twimpulse. My name is Mark Giambetti and I'm product manager here at Twimpulse and I'm your host on today's show of Real AI Now. Um, this episode is going to be about the legal world, legal implications of AI. And for this, I have a very special guest this morning, um, Vincent Valens. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So Vincent is a partner with Nota Dutil and head of the Luxembourg Intellectual Property and Information and Communication Technology and Competition Practice Groups. And he's a true expert in the field on IT uh, outsourcing projects about data protection with a focus on contracts and representation of in jurisdiction and administrative proceedings, IP litigation, telecom and media regulation, and uh, before joining Nauta Dutil as a partner, he was also working um, as a technology lawyer for Post Luxembourg, the, the largest telco here in Luxembourg and uh, a known operator uh, in, in Europe. So thanks again for, for being here today, Vincent. And I would like to dip, dig in into the topic um, AI and the legal profession. Can you say a couple of words about how you see AI currently impacting the legal profession? Well, yeah, there, there is a lot to say uh, uh, around it now uh, because, uh, of course, with the rise of chat uh, GPT, it has an impact on, on all sectors, I would say, but uh, it has a specific interest uh, for the legal profession because you can also ask questions to chat GPT on, on, on legal issues and you, you get a response. So I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's not a bad tool in the sense that, uh, yeah, that, that some people who want to have a first advice already can get a grasp via chat GPT. Mm-hmm. But of course, you run into these uh, stories that you hear nowadays that chat GTP has also some hallucinations that is, uh, I think there was a, last week, there was a case in New York that a lawyer relied on an advice of chat GPT, and it appeared that chat GPT had invented some case law. Mm-hmm. So that's, of course... They couldn't uh, find it then. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that's, of course, uh, that, that, that's that's an issue. But uh, more seriously, I think uh, there are some very serious uh, business models going on. Uh, you have heard maybe, Mark, about Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that is a, a, an AI solution for, for legal services that seems to be implemented now at uh, the major law firm, Ellen Overy, uh, which relies, amongst others, on the foundational model of uh, chat uh, GPT. Uh, enriched with uh, case law and also with the internal uh, knowledge database uh, at Allen Overy. And apparently that, that tool is already assisting uh, thousands of lawyers within, uh, within Allen Overy. Mm-hmm. So that's so this, uh, interesting to see that, that evolution. Mm-hmm. So, so this is an interesting aspect. So basically there is the, the, the core model, right? And then these exactly. extensions being built, uh, company-specific intention, which really make the difference in a particular area of, of expertise or, or the like. So looking at looking at this, so let's say if I'm new in the legal profession, I'm a young legal practitioner, how um, will I get the right, let's say, exposure? How can these tools help me getting, getting better in my day-to-day job? And isn't there the risk also that there is not the possibility to, to train a legal uh, uh, a junior getting the experience he or she would need? 
Um, that question is spot on, Mark, because I think the, in, in the predictions about the future of the legal profession, I think the junior lawyers will have it the hardest because, because of these tools, which certainly facilitate the job of a lawyer, mm -hmm. you also must be able to, uh, to see what does the, the tool do. Uh, and you must be, be able to be in a position to assess correctly the results that you get from the AI tool. And for that, to do that, you need already uh, one, uh, some experience in the legal field. Mm -hmm. And you need also be trained on the, the, the functioning of AI tools uh, themselves. Yeah. So that is, the, uh, that is really a, a, a big challenge, I think. The older lawyers, uh, uh, which have already some uh, some some white and gray hair, uh, as I do, <laughs> they uh, they have to take the curve, obviously, to to understand the the the, the, the underpinning of the uh, uh, of the AI tools. Mm -hmm. But I think we are in a position to see to 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 make a distinction. Well, this result is probably not that correct, or we have to double check. And for the younger population, that will be uh, that will be really a challenge. And it's also a warm uh, call to the to universities, etc., to enlarge certainly the, the 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 scope of skills of of young lawyers, not just to uh, to dry law, but uh, really uh, also uh, um, application into these kind of uh, tools. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to pick up on, on one thing you mentioned in the very beginning. So it was a bit the making the law more accessible or getting this first advice as an individual, yeah. right, before going to your lawyer or seeking sure. seeking legal advice. When building such, I would call it like a, a robot lawyer or, or legal assistant, what are the tasks you would consider which are most important that such a bot or a robot performs? And what are also the ethical considerations? So basically, where does it need to cut the boundary between I am competent in this and please seek for, for legal advice? Well, I think there always should be the writer, please seek further legal advice because that's, uh, that you know, you will see it in chat GPT. Uh, that's yep. also, um, um, that's always a, a writer that is, uh, that is put under the, uh, under the advice. From, um, from the typical ethical considerations that we see, or you know, bias, discrimination, I see a bit less of risk in the in the legal profession for the mm -hmm. simple reason that uh, the the the, the, uh, the screening of case law and uh, and and also legal doctrine articles, mm -hmm. it is already uh, fairly anonymized, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And if you see, uh, if you take, for example, the, the case law in, that is published now in Luxembourg, uh, before the, there was some published case law and uh, it was already fairly anonymized, but now it's even more. You, For example, if you're mm -hmm. talking about a trademark, before you could see which trademark it was, and now you cannot even see which trademark it is. So I think it's not so handy for the legal practitioner, but it makes things more objective for uh, to unleash AI tools on, on case law. So what I mean by that is that already a fair bit of, of source of, of, of bias and discrimination is already taken away by the, 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 the far-reaching anonymization and pseudonymization 
of case law and, uh, and, 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 and legal doctrines. And what a robot lawyer should do, yeah, it's the first, uh, it's the first level, uh, the, the, the first level advice, uh, obviously. But then, of course, uh, a lawyer should uh, uh, should look at it. Uh, it's a bit the same. Mm-hmm. Like people are now very vocal about their health, and they're looking things up on the internet on what mm-hmm. they could have. And I think please seek come, a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> people come better prepared to to the doctor. I think than uh, than they uh, than they were 10, 10, 20 years ago. And I think the same thing holds true for. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. For the lawyer profession, and it's a good thing. That so it's an opportunity more... to challenge your lawyer a bit with uh... exactly, exactly. And I think we, as a profession, we need that because we have that uh, that uh, that epiton that we have actually that we are in ivory tower still. You know, mm-hmm. we <laughs> we still have this uh, uh, strange uh, dressing up uh, if we go to to the court. You know, it gives that flavor of. That we are in the ivory tower, but I think it's it's a good thing that we are challenged, and it pushes us also a bit further in the reflection. Yeah. Okay, so it's an opportunity for becoming better, more reflection, and and, and the yeah. Like. But that means also that uh, it will be certainly amongst the lawyer community, it will be a survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. That uh, that just uh, having some high level advice or or also some practices uh, which are quite repetitive, you know, just uh, uh, redrafting all the times the same uh, documentation, I think that will disappear. And maybe rightly so, yeah. Okay. Another thing which, which, I, which I read about in, and which is also interesting is like uh, the other side of, of law, right? So not the lawyers, but really like the judges and uh, how... How do you see um, jurisdictions around the world also preparing in, uh, in terms of using AI in, in, in you know improving the way how they judge? Is that already a topic, or do you see it still at the beginning? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is certainly a topic, and uh, you have some jurisdictions. Uh, uh, well, if you, we we are here in Luxembourg, it's maybe not uh, symptomatic, but I think it's a uh, it's it's a trend that uh, that is nearly everywhere that there is a gigantesque uh, backlog in the mm-hmm. in the handling of um, of cases by the judges they mm-hmm. do not have sufficient means so that means that uh, that uh, there is a temptation obviously to to let yourself help mm-hmm. by uh, predictive tools uh, etc I think that's already ongoing uh, now judges are trained so they should in principle also, uh, be in a position to make a distinction between case uh, A and B. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what I'm afraid of, and what is a bit the beauty of the um, of the profession, that uh, in of course with all these predictive tools, you will have the a prediction, and you will also have a strong tendency in the case law that will be the result of the uh, AI solution. Mm-hmm. And what I find the beauty is sometimes if you're going to watch in this what we call minority case law, you know the Cases where the the courts uh, uh, decided in a different uh, way mm-hmm. that that uh, that that case law will be maybe filtered out over time, and that would be a pity because sometimes a case A is not a case B, mm-hmm. and on basis of the of, of the of the of the concrete facts of the case, it may very well be that uh, that. Uh, that the minority case law is plausible and that you can mm-hmm. debate it. And that's maybe, 
that's maybe something that uh, that, that, that could be a, a backdrop. Okay. But most of the time, if you are pleading a case, uh, obviously uh, the majority case law is always the strongest element, obviously, in discussions with a judge. And the minority case law will normally not be followed anyway, you know, mm-hmm. so, but you never know. So uh, yeah. I see one, one, one thing which I personally find a bit, a bit scary is that when you look at, at jurisdictions where you have, for instance, also um, um, jury members, which, okay, the, 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 the rulings are public, right? Um, you know the preferences or the way a certain judge may judge cases that AI is being used particularly to appeal and make your arguments in a way um, a judge would follow you. So, right, and I think that is also, I mean, I read about US, not sure about Europe, something which is happening already. Yeah, that's, a, that, that, that's an interesting case because, you know, obviously, even in, even in Luxembourg, uh, you know, you know, in front of which judge you you have the, be- the best chances and and uh, judges uh, uh, for the time being are not robots, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, are human beings, and uh, I think that's certainly an element that you cannot uh, underestimate in pleadings, etc. That, uh, that there is still some uh, yeah some some small room for subjectiveness mm-hmm. um, and. And that would be an interesting, I think that would be a more advanced phase of AI that you even could <laughs> detect maybe some preferences of judge A and B mm-hmm. and that you could deep digger into that. But that again, um, that could also be uh, uh, maybe uh, avoided uh, yeah, by just not naming the, the names of the judges, for example. And then you have that, uh, yeah. But then you come, of course, uh, then you have a bit of a, because also with the rendering public of the cases now in Luxembourg, I think there is a bit too much information removed. Mm-hmm. And then you come actually uh, in, in conflict with the principle that hearings should be public and decisions should be public as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's an interesting thing to follow, but it's certainly a good point that uh, Judge A is not Judge B, and uh, they, yeah. they, there can be differences in how how they interpret cases. Yeah. That's for so sure. This, so, so this data is, I mean, uh, speaking about data, but so these these decisions are open uh, or should be general public, right? Then obviously they should also be made available by the respective uh, Ministry of Justice in a machine-readable format, right? So that yeah. ideally you can also make, make use of them to, for instance, I don't know, train machine learning models or also search through these, et cetera. One thing, so want to move a bit into the topic of, 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 of training data and how you can use data to, um, uh, to, to train machine learning models, but also the aspects of data protection, right? We started off by saying, okay, there's some proprietary um, knowledge, for instance, Alan Overy used to, to, to train Harvey, right? But the core model is um, a GPT model. Can you say something about how, how do you want to make sure that um, when you train models, they are representative and also free from, from these biases? And what, what is important in your eyes? That's a, that's a, that's a short question, but uh, you could uh, debate a very long, uh, very long time on it. Yeah, that's uh, that, 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 the, the most representative cases now that you see popping up in the field of uh, data protection 
um, are uh, about that uh, that the results could be biased and uh, mm-hmm. uh, could be discriminatory. Um, yeah, I think representative. I think there we have to follow the general rules of statistics. I would say mm-hmm. so. I think the law would not be prescriptive if the law says representative. It means representative, and then you have to look at the state of the art in terms of um, of statistics, free from bias. That that's also a difficult question because um, um, there have been cases, for example, in the Netherlands, there has been a case about uh, it was a it was a big scandal that the tax administration. And the Social Security Administration had screened um, 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 on, fam- on fraud in family allowances, mm-hmm. and that apparently, if you would be from Maghrebian uh, origin or Eastern European origin, you would be uh, you had a higher chance in the risk scoring uh, mm-hmm. when the algorithm uh, calculates the risk scoring then you would have a higher chance to be uh, detected as a potential fraud uh, case. And that was a big scandal. The tax administration also received a very big fine, or rather a millions fine for it in the Netherlands. And then you can ask yourself, yeah, um, where, where is the fault? Uh, you know, Mark, you are specialized in AI. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can lie in, in the data itself. The data is not incorrect, but also maybe the selection of the data um, it can also be in the uh, in who is actually uh, setting up the the, the 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 parameters of the model, like the context, yeah, exactly. The yeah. context, um, and it can uh, it can be a bit of everything, or that the even when you uh, want to have the model right, uh, that maybe the AI will look for some markers and will filter out some markers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that in the end of the day uh, appear to be uh, biased and discriminatory. Now, in the tax administration case, it was really clear that uh, that the, the belonging to a certain nationality was integrated in the design. So that makes it quite uh, that makes it quite uh, obvious. But yeah, I think uh, yeah. everybody is talking about the famous uh, AI Act in 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 the European Union, which will be enacted uh, probably in a few months. Uh, but I think if you follow the, 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 the principles and the rules that mm-hmm. have been laid down on data governance, uh, stemming from the AI Act, then I think you are already a good way. And if you also document uh, the choices that you have made in the design, in the selection of the, of the data sets, it makes probably you also reflect on... Uh, uh on on well is this correct uh, uh am i not going to be discriminatory whereas if you are if you do not have these controls uh probably the people who are designing it feel themselves a bit more free and uh yeah, yeah. i think also uh, uh, having a diverse uh population amongst the designers could mm-hmm. also yeah, so uh, because if you have uh, Central Eastern European people in your designer team, most probably they will, uh, they would not be too happy to say, well, but it's, it, but it's, it's an ethical debate, eh? because of course, uh, we say bias and discrimination, but uh, then that's also a legal question. What is bias and discrimination? Yeah. If, for example, a certain population is singled out as a higher scoring risk, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But but it, 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 it's factually based. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Or that's now the thing about also gender bias. Do you have to take positive actions in your design to fight the potential outcome that a gender would be biased? And that makes it very difficult, I would yeah. say. I had a very interesting discussion with a former colleague from, from Singapore on different, uh, so he's an expert on responsible AI and how to design these systems in a way mm -hmm. that uh, comply. And one of the starting points is also different value systems, right? So for instance, in exactly. the, in the exactly. Asian world, you sure. value elderly people more. In, in Europe, you would, let's say, if in case like looking at the, for instance, the trolley problem, right? Okay, is the trolley gonna hit the grandma or the little child, right? So like uh, in, in, in Asian culture, you would rather say, okay, it's the, the elderly who you, pay a tribute to and respect and in Europe you would rather say okay well the child needs to be uh, you know safe from from harm so also different value systems kind of like come, exactly come exactly and, and 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 who is going to be the judge about that yeah because yeah. because sometimes you can have in a in a certain country you have elections uh, mm -hmm. there is democracy and then uh, that some country uh, you know you have the whole thing in okay it's maybe another topic but uh, you know, you have in the States a topic about abortion. Uh, you know, if there is a, if the Republicans are, are in the power, then it's maybe probably more mainstream. And if the Democrats are in power, it's not, you know, you see yeah. what I mean? So it's a very difficult discussion. And it's yeah. also, uh, and it makes it also very tricky. Yeah. I wanted, wanted to move to the topic of, of really liability of AI decisions or decisions being made by, by a machine. So um, how is liability determined when an, an AI model makes a decision that results in, in harm or a loss? How would that, how would that work? Who's, who's well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of the underpinning principles that, uh, of, of the use of AI, that there always should be uh, a human being who has a red button, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, liability relies on that person who has the final decision. But do you think, in, in, in practical practical terms, that's that's still feasible with this kind of like evolution of AI and, and sub training, etc. That you get to a point where you cannot really say, okay, that was that yeah. Was if, intended? if it's not possible, it should be uh, it should be prohibited because in the, mm -hmm. uh, that means if the AI is going to follow its own logic, uh, it's also one of the underpinning regulatory principles uh, that will that will be even be made more clearly, mm -hmm. and which already are uh, enshrined in data protection law, mm -hmm. is that you always must be able to, to explain the logic uh, of 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 uh, of the oh, AI really? system. Yep. So if you're not able to do that anymore, you are infringement with that uh, with that principle, and you cannot deploy the the AI system. It's that's mm -hmm. yep. I mean, I see that also as a bit uh, a problem from how technology works, right? If you sure. look, for instance, at uh, neural networks, right? They it's mathematically not feasible to tell by default what is the let's say the, the reasoning. Now, of course, there are let's say um, enhancements on explainability, right? Because regulators are asking for it, uh, legal systems ask, etc. But it's really um, kind of like this a bit this trade-off, right? Between what can yeah. you do? 
And exactly, so, but uh, but but that's I think that is the, the the outer limits from the moment that you cannot explain it and control it anymore. Then it's mm -hmm. over, I think. Uh, then yeah. even when it could uh, generate benefits for for humankind, it's also mm -hmm. I think there's a fair consensus. Well, at least fifty percent of the specialists in AI see it as a danger that if it gets out of control that uh, that it could be uh, a danger for humankind i think that's already a very uh, um, that's already a very large portion i would say that if a danger exists uh, so and 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 there have been cases uh, already in the field of data protection law mm -hmm. for example a bank uh, not being able to explain why a certain person has a as a particular risk scoring Mm -hmm. uh, then you are already in plain violation with uh, with GDPR and transparency principles. So okay. and then you get uh, fined. So and that's uh, uh, that's already the first case that come come out that uh, this this risk scoring uh, uh, practices in in the banking sector. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that is a that, that's a big topic now. And if you cannot explain the logic behind. The risk scoring and why I got a score, a high score, and if you cannot explain it, then that's a problem. Yeah, and I think there also research has made quite good progress, right? In really, um, let's say, building enhancements of explainability so that can let's say I can satisfy this this criteria and explaining more what what was the reasoning behind a certain decision taken. Sure. I wanted to pick up again on on the liability and just pick your brain on one particular thing. So in 2016. Um, the robot Sophia by Hanson Robotics, right? So like one of the humanoid robots was granted citizenship in Saudi Arabia. Um, do you think robots should have should have legal rights? And then if yes, why or why not? Well, it it, it comes down to the same to the same question, right? That there should always be um, that there should always be. Uh, uh, somebody who is in control of it. So mm -hmm. I think that speaks against uh, uh, legal rights. Uh, yeah, I would say. So uh, of course you have the same discussion with um, with children, which are legally inca incapable, and there is al always also somebody uh, responsible for them. Mm -hmm. Animals, they also of course uh, have, have some rights, but even. Even there, there is discussion, but I think uh, we should not grant uh, uh, rights to uh, to a robot because that would, in my opinion, that would uh, come very close to the to discussion. Can we let the robot develop how it deems fit? Mm -hmm. And that's not possible because yeah. of this of this uh, boundary that uh, should always be somebody who a human being who can. Push the red button to stop it. Yeah, I personally, w w w when I look at this and, and calling it robot, right? I think there's always a bit, and I think it's maybe part due to science fiction, also the past. It's like this yeah, yeah. demonization of the robot, right? Like the, the humanoid robot, this robot which moves through uh, physical space. But the let's say the large majority of robots are like you know the ones deployed on servers and running somewhere, and, and exactly, these yeah. are the ones which are which are running the show. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah if, you, if you would mm -hmm. uh, confer, uh, if you have it very visually, if you are a Star Wars fan, like, you know, you have you have nice robots, and you would like to have to, to exactly. get them some uh, so, some uh, some legal uh, rights, but you also have, of course, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some bad <laughs> robots. You are in the army of Darth Vader, for example. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the good and the good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the AI Act being uh, highly discussed in these days in, in Europe. Can you say a couple of words um, for our listeners and viewers? What is at the core of this AI Act, and also how does AI policy frameworks across the world differ, and what is particular about the AI Act in, in Europe? Well, the AI Act um, is uh, is a very prescriptive text. Goes in uh, in uh, in quite a lot of detail. Um, there are um, there are uh, types of uh, of systems that are totally prohibited. Mm-hmm. So you have a kind of ranking. Can you Then give an example? Have... What 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 is prohibited? What um, what is prohibited? Well, that's also a bit uh, still uh, uh, under discussion. But um, what is um, um, what is certainly prohibited is that, uh, uh, for example, an AI system would uh, would influence you without mm-hmm. you knowing it. Okay, yeah. that's a bit uh, that's a bit of an uh, uh, of an addition. Um, then you also have uh, high risk AI systems, and you must know that it's not only about the who is developing the AI system; it's also who is embedding it into a product, mm-hmm. and also the uh, well, the if if if, you, if you're using it, for example, if you have a if you have Harvey, uh, you are uh, Ellen Overy is using it, yeah. So, so then you uh, all these actors uh, are still considered to be stakeholders under the AI Act and have their uh, have their responsibilities. So then you have high risk um, AI activities. And those are quite strictly uh, regulated um, in terms of uh, risk management, uh, data governance. If it's embedded in a product, you also have uh, um, you must make sure that it uh, also have a kinds of conf- uh, CE marking. You know, uh, there is a crossover between uh, the, the the classical CE marking for products and. Uh, AI being used for uh, embedded in products. Um, what is a, a novelty is that um, about the generative AI now and the found, mm-hmm. and the foundational AI for which nothing was foreseen in the initial draft of the AI Act, and uh, of course with Jet uh, GPT that en- enhanced the whole discussion. So there are also some uh, some transparency rules uh, when you are using. Uh, foundational AI and generative uh, uh, AI. So, um, uh, for example, if you are embedding embedding it in a, in a high risk uh, um, AI solution, uh, you must follow uh, uh, some rules. What is very interesting, for example, if you take the the um, uh, and I want to see whether that's not a will not be a, a blocking point. Uh, if you have generative AI, uh, for example, Jet uh, GPT, and it relies on uh, copyright uh, protected uh, works, yes. Mm-hmm. And for example, Jet GDP, uh, I think it crawls the whole internet, right? So, the potentially uh, also copyrighted content, uh, co- copyright protected or not, that you must be able uh, to uh, to to make a summary of the uh, of, of the copyright protected works that have been used, and that mm-hmm. will be very 
very interesting uh, discussion. So the the discussion that I was having with a couple of uh, also AI founders here in Europe is that they're very kind of like scared about this regulation so that it's very difficult to run an AI company in Europe. There is a lot of limitations and uh, AI core development is, is um, progressing at the rapid pace. And the need to comply with all these laws is like making it harder and harder for the small ones, but actually feeding a bit big tech in a sense that they can afford the, let's say, the legal team of making sure that all the legislation is, is, is in place. Do you see that in the same way? Or do you see it as a... As a... Um, obviously, the, the big tech has, the, has obviously more means to, uh, to be compliant. Um, if we look at it, if we have the, uh, the, the, the uh, how would I say, if we have the experience that we had, for example, under GDPR, you had that same mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah, my big tech is probably the uh, best place to, uh, um, um, to, to be compliant. Very often, even big tech has large problems to be compliant. And they really push the way forward to... To, to, to put their models there uh, so that it's nearly unavoidable that they are un quite unstoppable. And then they mm -hmm. try to adapt uh, their models and they lobby a bit, of course, uh, uh, because if you have an AI act like this, it's uh, obviously a highly lobbied uh, piece of legislation. Uh, but what we see is that sometimes uh, some principles are not... Uh, uh, are are not respected, and then they uh, then they wait until there will be an enforcement case, and then mm -hmm. they will take it from there. Yeah. For example, uh, if you see, okay, it's maybe on another note, but Facebook with international data transfers. It's only a few weeks ago that the data protection authorities uh, uh, have actually stopped the data transfer, whereas it's it was always clear that there was an international data transfer that would be very difficult to, um, to, to comply with the very strict EU data protection rules. Mm -hmm. So I think it will be uh, a bit the same. So yes, they are more in a position to be compliant. They have the, the means, but uh, I think some aspects will be difficult to comply with. That's, mm -hmm. that's for sure. And if it's too difficult, uh, either they, they go along with their project and they take a few fines on the way, um, or they stop it. I think the founder of Chat GPT said it as well. Uh, so with the yep. AI Act, uh, we will see, we will try to comply with it, but if it's mm -hmm. not possible, we, we stop it. Huh? Yeah. So I think it was uh, last week, uh, Sam Altman was on a big lobbying tour in, I think, in across Europe, uh, okay. in Germany. Exactly. And, uh, I, I, I watched that talk at my, my university, Technical University in Munich. He was there. I saw that okay, one, That was yeah. more in front of in front of students, but also meeting the, let's say, the politicians in in Berlin. I think there's a lot of, um, um, I mean, let's say, uncertainty for tech companies. Also, what how, how the European market in particular develops, right? I think, uh, okay, China is a bit the wild west. Uh, the US is is also much more liberal. I don't know. There's this saying, okay. The US is where technology is created. In China, it's copied, and in Europe, it's regulated. So I think <laughs> that's a bit a uh, bit about it. But we see if we talk also with our, yeah, that's maybe true. But if you look at, uh, for example, the same was said about the GDPR mm -hmm. in the field of data protection, and then you saw that it became a standard. 
across the world. So yeah. California has, okay, there are uh, differences, but California has adopted a quite uh, generous uh, privacy legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in, in, in some major uh, uh, jurisdictions, uh, the GDPR had that knock-on effect. And we see also, if you speak uh, with North American lawyers, mm -hmm. that there is also some principle-based uh, regulation emerging uh, in the US and Canada, for example, on AI. And their prediction is that uh, what is going to be in the AI Act is a bit... Uh, um, like a blueprint? Uh, well, a blueprint, and, and they get more, it gets more flesh on the bone in terms of regulation, because if you have principle-based regulation, it's principles, but how, how would that play out? You know, if you say transparency, explainability, and if you have then European legislation, which lays down a bit in more detail, what is it? Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it will also have that knock-on effect in, uh, in, uh, in Northern America, for example, that, uh, that they would say, yeah, but you have the EU, uh, AI Act, and it says that and that about transparency, yeah? Mm -hmm. So basically, like, uh, if you're a global company and you try to build your solution in a way, you can, in essence, deploy it worldwide and use it instead of, uh, that's not yeah, running into I think, additional uh, problems. I think the AI Act is definitely the most strict standard, that's for sure, and uh, yeah, that will have an effect. Uh, okay, that's, that's If you want to deploy, deploy AI, of course, in, in European Union, huh? But, uh... Okay, so what is, um, let's say, international and regulatory frameworks a bit, what shall we look at in the next six months, up to two years, what are the things which uh, you believe are really exciting and, and, and interesting as an AI person to look at? So the AI Act is one, is that? Yeah, the AI Act is incontournable, uh, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, you would also have, uh, I think, in the framework of that uh, AI Act, uh, a lot of standards emerging, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I think there are some, uh, some technical bodies uh, who are uh, working on technical standards. I think that will also be a very important uh, uh, point to follow because in the end of the day, the AI Act is also a legal text. Uh, so yeah. even when it's a bit more concrete and the principle-based regulation in the US, it still is text and it must be interpreted by lawyers, technicians, etc. But I think there will be also some more uh, standards, that's mm -hmm. for sure, standardization in the field of uh, AI. And then uh, the interaction also with, uh, with, um, with, uh, with other acts like the GDPR, um, like also the Digital Services Act, which, uh, for example, if you have a, a, a means on, on an online platform of referencing. Mm -hmm. There are also in these other legislations some, some items that deal with AI, maybe in a very specific focus, but you cannot forget about them because the, the, the Digital Services Act also says that if you're doing, if you have, for example, a referencing scheme, I don't know, you're on booking and you have a or TripAdvisor, you and there is a and there is an algorithm, obviously, who will decide also uh, uh, on the scoring or the referencing. You must mm -hmm. also be able to explain it. So there will be a lot of overlapping, which make it, makes it also interesting for a lawyer. Because, for example, if, uh, uh, if a practice at the same time is a violation of the AI Act and the GDPR, uh, will you 
culminate the fines, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so that will be an interesting discussion. But the GDPR will also, uh, we believe the GDPR will still remain relevant also to enforce a big chunk of the uh, of, of, of the use of, uh, of, of AI because the AI Act has not been um, uh, adopted yet. Uh, finally, so and before it comes into force effectively, it will still take some time. Uh, and in the meanwhile, you will see that uh, GDPR or competition law will also be used to enforce it. Okay, okay, that's that's interesting uh, things to look at for the next uh, couple of uh, weeks and months, right? Yeah, you saw it. Eh? The, I think the Italian Data Protection Authority had already some emergency measures uh, issued. Uh, by prohibiting uh chat in italy so um yeah okay, under so circumstances obviously if chat gpt would not use personal data yeah and, and i think there are also interesting let's say developments right so like uh, also when using chat gpt can you uh, let's say it's it's in the default version it's storing the queries you send it to the prompts right and then making use of those to improve the models again so that's probably something uh, which will be addressed in the business and then program. Yeah, that was one of the biggest criticism, you know, uh, the, 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 the basis of lawfulness of data processing to train the model. Yeah. That I think chat GPT had, uh, had, had relied on legitimate interest. And that uh, that was not for the Italian Data Protection Authority, that was not clear enough or not founded enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. you run into these uh, discussions, yeah. yeah. Is there, uh, let's say, thinking about summarizing and wrapping up a bit our discussion, so is there a very creative or unusual use of AI you have seen in the legal, uh, legal professional beyond uh, you were surprised about, like this wow effect or something which you found particularly shocking, anything which, which comes to your mind? Well, well I have a bit difficulty with the fact that now with chat GPT, uh, everybody thinks AI is a total novel thing. It's already around for uh, for a while. The 50s, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, without knowing, we are already using it. If we have databases, um, professional databases with um, with case law and uh, legal articles. Uh, there are already ranked in terms of interest, etc. So there, there is oh, already yeah. algorithms uh, 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 working there, which goes already in, in in the a bit in the direction of predictive uh, mm -hmm. justice without knowing it. I think it's a bit uh, everybody is now uh, making a hype of it, but I think it, it, it already exists. And of course, if you think uh, deeper about it, uh, yeah. It, it, it is it is a wow effect if you take it from now until where we were 20 years ago, where we had to go in libraries to look up for things that uh, if you would take that difference, you would make it a wow. But nobody says wow because it has been an evolution over years. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say for me, there is no uh, uh, solution that has created a wow effect mm -hmm. now. I must say, for example, JetGPT itself, that sometimes it comes, uh, it, it gets nice uh, solutions. And it, mm -hmm. it's also very well behaved in, in, in reduction step. Yeah. So, it's a bit of a wake up call also, right? I yeah, guess. It, 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 it writes very well. So it's also wake up. I think it's a wow wake up call for lawyers 
to 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 write more in a chat GPT like of way, which is a bit more colloquial in a more understandable manner and and with uh, respecting actually the uh, uh, an introduction, uh, a, a nice uh, a nice summary. Um, um, so that is the case. And then you have also applications like maybe it's not so sexy, and eh? we talked about it, Mark, before, mm -hmm. like Deeple. You know, yeah. yeah, you can say it's not wow because it's just a translation tool, yeah. but how he, it has uh, re revolutionized uh, our work as lawyers because we are working internationally. Uh, written submissions before a court are in French. We have to have them translated in English. Before you had to get a quote from a translation office. It costs a thousand of euros. And now you just uh, uh, put it in Deepel. You have a very nice result and you make a, a, a waiver to your clients by saying, look, this is an uh, AI generated uh, translation. Uh, so it may not always be accurate, but uh, clients are happy with it. If it's uh, sufficient to have a wow effect, I don't know, but it's uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's it, 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 it's a massive yeah. progress. I, I had this maybe discussion. not for translation firms, but for us, yes. I had these discussions. Uh, I don't know, like a couple of years ago, uh, where former manager wanted a search engine, nothing complicated, just as simple as Google. One box, one button. Okay, well, there's uh, uh, the beauty of simplicity, right? But what is behind is is actually very valuable and. Uh, Translation, I think, is one of these examples. It's just yeah. translation, but the power and let's say the the thinking which went into this, let's say, uh, approach is just uh, a huge huge chunk of work. Yeah. Vincent, I want to thank you very much for the interesting discussion thank we had this morning. So thanks again for joining me on the Real AI Now podcast. It was a pleasure. A pleasure as for me as well. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for listening in, watching in. I'd like to ask you, if you like this uh, episode, please give us a like and also subscribe to our channel. Uh, we are available on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And for now, everyone, thank you for listening and watching in and goodbye. Bye.